Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. And so this morning, I, I titled today's talk, Meddling in the Middle, How to Rejoice in the Midst of Suffering. And I don't blame my barber for getting, like, not wanting to know anything else about how my Sunday was going to be going. And uh, just a disclaimer, like, Pastor Sean did not ask me to preach on suffering. <laughs> I chose this. I don't know what's going on. But I just felt it on my heart. Man, it can be tricky, but... Thank goodness we serve a God who doesn't leave us in the midst of our suffering. You know, this morning, suffering, I wanted to clearly define it. Suffering, I took this from Google, I know, thorough research. Suffering, the state of undergoing pain, distress, and hardship. I think all of us can relate to instances in our life or season, something you're going through right now or you just got over, that you've been suffering. I think it's familiar to all of us. And I do want to make a distinction. Abuse is different than suffering. We're not talking about abuse. Abuse is pain that someone chooses to inflict on another person. That's not this sermon. God still works in that, but there's other steps that need to be unpacked, and that it's more than what we're addressing today. This morning, as we talk about suffering, we're talking about the hardships in our life, the distress, the discomfort, the challenges that we face, the difficulties and like I said, in our little you know, Q&A, you, you know, I'm, I'm a church kid, like born and raised. I'm a pastor's kid. I was the worst troublemaker in all of the youth group. Like I ran, you have to watch out for the pastor's kids for sure, for sure. But something that I would hear a lot and, and you might have heard a lot, I would use it a lot, you might use it a lot, that the more I think about it, the more I think it misses its mark. It's this phrase that I get, it gets thrown around a lot. It's this phrase, you might have heard it. God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that before? And I understand it. I, I do, like I understand the concept behind it. I understand the heart behind it. I think the intention is so good, right? And, and it's something that I would use and and most of the times I would use it or I would observe other people use it to provide comfort, right, to somebody. You go, hey, you know, I just want to encourage you. God will never give you something, you know, or more than you can handle, right? And, and most times when I would use it, it would honestly, if I could be transparent, it would be because I had no idea what else to say. <laughs> so I'd just be like, oh, I guess, I don't know. God will never give you more than he handles, so you, you got it, right? And... As I began to like unpack this, this, this sermon, I was just like, man, I, I think that it fails at really conveying the point. Why? Well, that phrase is most derived from a, a 1 Corinthians verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And in the context of it, Paul is actually commenting on a specific community's battle with adulterous temptation. And so he says this, he says, God will, ne- will not let you be tempted out of your ability. Paul is actually commenting on the strength of these people, that they can be firm in their choices to resist temptation, and that God is above it all. That the temptation is not too much for them. And that makes sense. 
See, this phrase was used to address an internal temptation, but we've kind of taken it and applied it to external hardships that we can't explain. And I think that that can be harmful if we apply it in the wrong way. This is the biblical backing, right? Why do I most feel like God, you know, this phrase doesn't really equate to what God is doing? Because I sure have felt like God has given me more than I can handle on more times than not. I don't think I'm the only one. There's been times in my life where I'm like, God, this is too much. God, this is too much for me to handle. And it's only by the grace of God that he was able to intervene and take me out of it. Give me what I needed. And as I read the Bible time and time again, I see a pattern of this. Have you ever read Psalms? I feel like a third of Psalms is written by a man who is way, way past what he's capable of. He's in positions that are way too deep for him. He's crying out to God. Asking God to intervene in his life. And then the other parts of Psalms are him proclaiming the goodness of God. That God took him where he was at and showed up. This phrase, right, it also makes it appear that everything that happens to us is directly from God. Right? This idea that the hardships we face are placed right in our lives. And I think we have to be careful with that because we live in a broken and sinful world. God's intention for us, God's intention in the Garden of Eden wasn't for us to experience the suffering and pain. It's a consequence of our choices, of the sin that we're born into. And so I think you might have heard this one too, right? Like everything happens for a reason. Eh, I don't know about that. What I do know is that God can use all things for a new reason. That we serve a God who restores and who uses the things in our life that we can't explain or deal with for something better and greater. I like what it says in Proverbs 16.4. It says, the Lord works everything to its proper end, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. See, it's true that God is in complete control. It's true that we serve a sovereign God who is not outside of his ability. So really, the question that we have to ask ourselves is why does God allow these things to happen to us? Why is it that there are things that happen to us that are out of our control? That's what I want to address today. And, and what I love is that not only is God working in the midst of it, but he's transforming and comforting and he's present. Let's read our main passage, passage of Scripture this morning. It's in Romans 5.1, starting at the top. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Will you pray with me? God, we just give you this time. 
As we unpack your word, will you just begin to reveal to us where you are in the midst of our lives? God, will you be able to give us this newfound hope in you? Lord, will you just rest on us this morning? Lord, we're so grateful and we're so thankful for who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I, uh, I'm not a runner. I know you're like, what is he talking about? I'm not a runner. I have to give this disclaimer. I don't run. Um, I run like, I run consistently sometimes. <laughs> what does that mean? Like every three weeks, I'll be like, I'm going to get back into running. And I run like three times that week. And then I don't run for another like three weeks. <laughs> you want to know how I know I'm not a runner? Because I have like the Nike run like club app, like just to like show people. And I have it like on my like front screen. So that like people like stream peeking on my phone. They'll see, you know, they'll think that I'm like athletic and stuff. No. Guys, bear with me, okay? And I'll get, like, a notification from, like, the Nike Run Club app or whatever, and it'll be like, hey, like, here's your reminder. You have this many hours of daylight to go for a run. Never once have I needed reminding to go for a run. It's a choice that I'm choosing not to go for a run. That's how I know I'm not a runner, right? I have friends who, like, they go out there, and they're, they can easily run, like, six miles, just, like, not. They can run forever, forever and ever and ever. And I'm so impressed by you. If you in this room are one of those people, I, I want to be like you, but I'm not. Okay, so there's my disclaimer. So I'm going to be painting this imagery, right? We're going to use imagery of, like, running a race throughout this, this talk this morning. I don't really know what I'm talking about, so you can call me out after service or just have grace for me, okay? How I broke this down, though, this main passage of scripture is through this equation, right? You, me, right, plus suffering equals endurance, which equals character, which equals hope. In other words, endurance is about going the distance. Character is about staying the path. And hope is about the finish line. Let's start with endurance. Endurance, uh, this is the question that I think is important for us to ask. Can you go the distance? Endurance, can you go the distance? At the start of a race, it's so easy to run fast. It's so easy to, to just get in your rhythm. At the start of your race, you're not feeling tired yet. What matters is halfway through, three quarters of the way through, when you're tired, when your legs give out. That's when it gets hard. Endurance, can you go the distance? How is your faith endurance? I think these trials that we find ourselves in, these hardships that we face, they force our endurance to grow and to strengthen. That's what this passage is saying is that as we go through this, it is building our faith, not just for now, but for the future. I love how James writes it. There's such a chunk of James just about this imagery of running. It says, James 1, starting at verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Endurance fills us out. Endurance allows us to be in a place where you say, hey, I may not be the strongest or the fastest, but I can tell you what, I'm not going to give up. 
I don't think I need to share the tortoise and the hare story, right? I think we all understand this, this is kind of like a, a very uh, juvenile topic, but I think it's important. I don't want us to rush past this because this is the first step in this equation, endurance through suffering. Character. Do your steps reflect the path? You know, you don't sprint down a rocky hill. <laughs> it's foolish. You'll trip, you'll fall. My dog doesn't under, understand that. I'll be walking my dog, and I don't know how many times I've completely eaten it, and it's been super embarrassing. Anyway, you don't run down a rocky hill. See, when you're navigating rough terrain, you have to be careful where you place your feet, right? It's foolish to just sprint, to not pay attention. We live in, in Tacoma, right? It rains all the time. You guys know the deal. I can't go out there and just run like it's, not, like it's not raining when it is. I'll slip. I think in the same way, when we face hardships, when we face the problems in our life where we say, man, I have to hold on. I have to stay true to the path that's before me that God is placing in front of me. I have to be careful where I set my feet. God is forming our character. God is giving us a discipline as we navigate through it, as we rely on him. Well, how do you develop character, right? What does that look like? Well, one, learning and knowing God's character, it happens just like anybody else. How do you learn the character of a friend? You hang out with them. You spend time with them. The more that you spend time with God, the more that you'll latch onto his character, you'll be able to see the differences. You'll be able to see his character in your life. As you read the word, they say, let the word read you. What does that even mean? Church slang. It means let the word speak. Let it wash over you. Let it resonate with you. Learn the character that God is showing you as he reveals himself. Surround yourself with godly people. That's, my, that's one of my favorite ways. I'll pray, God, you know, show me something more, and, and I'll gain a new friend. Somebody who I can copy. Somebody who I can learn from. Somebody whose character I can see is straight from God. Galatians 7.10 says, You were running superbly. Who cut in on you? deflecting you from the true course of obedience. This detour doesn't come from the one who called you into the race in the first place. And please don't toss this off as insignificant. It only takes a minute amount of yeast, you know, to permeate an entire loaf of bread. This idea of taking a detour, right? Oh, man, detours are the worst. Like, you don't go on a road trip, and when you come back home, they're like, what's the best part? You're like, oh, the detour was incredible. We got to see so many license plates. <laughs> no. Why? Because a detour is unfulfilling. In our life, we can, what can happen if we don't have this endurance or the characters, we can just veer off on our own detours. And then we leave the detour so unfulfilled, and it didn't just waste our time and our energy, but it, it wasted our fulfillment. When God is saying, stay on my path. Let me build your endurance. Let me add to your character. Let me actually transform you in the midst of all this going on as you're facing these hardships. Come and submit under me and see what happens. See me fulfill places in your life that you never thought imaginable. And I want to be careful because 
Suffering is such a broad topic, right? And I even think in our culture, suffering can sometimes be like romanticized in a way. We see it a lot with like artists, tortured souls, right? And they're like, oh, that's why they're able to produce such great art or such great work. But I honestly think they'd be better artists if they were able to release that, right? If that wasn't holding them back. And that's not the, the, the goal of this sermon. This, the goal of this talk isn't to say, if you're not suffering, you're doing it wrong. We should all be suffering. No. It's saying that even when we are suffering, God is still good. God is still with us. God is still moving and God is still working and he's able to use it for something greater. That's what it's about. Suffering is not the goal. It's not enlightening. It's actually restricting. There are seasons of suffering just like there are seasons of enjoyment, right? I love this. Suffering is a symptom of a damaged world, but God is using it to draw us closer to him in the midst of it. And lastly, hope. Hope. The last piece of this formula is hope. Do you know what the prize is? James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. That's what it's about. That at the end of the finish line, there is hope. That at the end of the race, we have a hope that all things will be restored. We have a hope in a living and a moving God. See, this is the confidence in the midst of the run. I'll be on my run. I'll be running my, like, uh, I was going to say three miles. I run two miles, guys. It's not even, like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to be transparent. I just remember, like, you know, you'll be at the end of your run, and I'll look at my little, like, you know, watch or whatever. It'll be like, oh, you know, so long for a mile, you know, let's say, like, you know, 0.2 miles. Okay. I just think, like, man, five minutes from now, I'm going to feel so good. I'm going to feel so accomplished. I'm not going to be in this, like, pain anymore. Like, my lungs aren't going to be burning. It's going to be great. I can walk, and I'm going to look so cool as everybody, like, walks by. They're like, that guy just finished his run. It's this confidence. I have a hope that six minutes from that moment, I'm going to feel way better than I feel right now. That's the hope that we find in God. That's great, and that's important, but it doesn't end there. And this is really the heart of my talk this morning. We serve such a good God, such an incredible, graceful God, that even in the midst of our race, even in the midst of our suffering, before we've done anything to earn it, before we've done anything to cross the finish line, in our minds, we have to complete it before we receive our our award, right? But God says, no, right now, in the midst of it all, I actually want to give you the prize. I actually want to anoint you the medal in the midst of everything. I actually want you to medal in the middle. How did our main passage end? Verse 5, in hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's the prize. The prize at the end of the race was to be able to spin and have that intimacy with God. But what does God do? He blesses us with the Holy Spirit in the midst of where we are. 
that in the midst of our suffering, we're not alone. It's not like God is sitting up there watching to see if we'll complete the task at hand. It's not like it's a test to see how strong we are by ourselves. No, God is saying, even in the midst of all this, I'm going to give you the prize. That no matter what happens, you will always have me with you. Think about it like this, like when runners train, I know another running analogy. When runners train, these like ultra marathon runners, what they do is they have these like pace buddies. And what happens is as they're running, they have somebody come alongside them at a different pace for them to match. And that person switches out at different intervals so that as the person is training, they have somebody alongside them to motivate them, somebody to watch, to attach themselves to hip and hip so that they can grow and develop and become stronger. God has given us we have the Holy Spirit that comes into our life as the ultimate pace buddy, that as we are by ourselves, he is there with us side by side in the midst of everything. I think it's only right. I was just in awe as I was like reading over this. I was like, man, like it's just incredible that the pinnacle of our Christian faith, the moment of our faith that we point to, the moment that changes everything, this master plan where Jesus came as the Son of God, fully God and fully man, that moment culminated in an act of suffering. Jesus being crucified on the cross. Can you imagine? Like, I, I hope none of us, like none of us have to endure the physical pain and toll and suffering that that took, Jesus on the cross. But in that moment, as Jesus paid for our wages of sin, of Christ's atonement, that moment, it says the Father turned from the Son as he took it on. Jesus suffered in a way that we no longer have to for you and I. So now, when we face trials and hardships and distress, when we are suffering, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're in the middle of it. That we have something to rely on, to depend on. That is where we can rejoice from. So how do we rejoice in the midst of suffering? One, we have to remember that our God is greater than it all. That he's good, that he's sovereign, but he's also using it to shape us. I don't know what suffering looks like in your life, right? It's, it's different from person to person. It can be something as heavy as grief. It can be something um, as, as day-to-day as just you don't feel like you're connecting in your job, right? Unmotivation, I, I don't know. It's a large scale of things from person to person. And... As we head into this holiday season, it can be difficult. It can be so difficult to say, man, I know I'm supposed to be thankful and grateful, but I just don't feel like it. But yet we have access to something greater where we can say, hey, I know that no matter what happens, no matter what I face, I serve a good God who has inserted himself into my life in a way where this is only making me stronger, 
where I can only be more transformed after this, where if I submit myself to him and say, Lord, I just need you right now. I'm at the end of myself. Jesus, I need you here. Holy Spirit, come, I invite you into my life. Then we have a newfound hope. That's the difference, right? Before we were running for victory, at the end of this race, right, we'd be set and we'd be good. Now we run from a place of victory. That it's now that I've already won, I already have the medal. Now is when I can continue to walk in the goodness of God, no matter what life throws at me. I love what it says in Hebrew 12. I'm sorry, I didn't give you guys this ahead of time. It's my bad. I'm so sorry. This is like the pinnacle moment, and yeah. <sighs> Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1. So how do we navigate this? How do we get through this? Well, first, remember that you already won. Remember that you get to run from a place of victory because of the debt that was already paid, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit that we now can invite to come alongside us. That as we experience the hardships, we can have a joy in the midst of it all. To put your eyes on Jesus, the Savior, the one who endured it all for us. As we place our faith and our eyes in him, as we follow after his footsteps, as we say, Lord, allow this to transform me. Lord, I thank you for this new perspective that I never had before, as hard as it may be. And what I love about it is that it might not even be specifically for you, right? This, gains you, this helps you gain a new perspective. What if it's to help someone else? That's the most selfless thing, to say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know how you're going to be able to take this, but Lord, I give it to you. So transform me, help me to be a witness, help me to serve and follow you even when I don't feel good. As we close in prayer, I just want to pray, one, for all of us as we go into this Thanksgiving season, because I think we all have things that we're dealing with, right? It's part, of, it's part of the walk. It's part of the decision that we make when we say, Jesus, I want to follow you. That no matter what, I don't want to be shaken. I want my endurance to last as we head into the season, can we just be lights at our dinner tables? Can we just be beacons in our city? Can we just be examples of the goodness of God and the grace that endures all trials, that endures all distress, that even in the midst of suffering, we believe in a God that is still good and still working? Let's pray. Lord, we just lift you up. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, we ask that as we navigate this beautiful season of remembering you, as we navigate this beautiful season of being thankful in our lives, God, 
we have an authentic emotion in our hearts that just celebrates the life that you give us, that we no longer have to run for our own accomplishments, but we run from what you already accomplished. Lord, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We invite you into our lives, into our dinner tables, into our families, God. God, we ask you to move. We praise you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.